I'd like you to open your Bible tonight just for a moment to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 29. The two contrast in Proverbs 20 and verse 29. It says, the glory of young men is their strength. And the beauty of old men is the gray head. Now, I have not yet, honestly, looking into a mirror, depicted any kind of beauty that I would call beauty myself. But I will agree with what the Bible says, that the beauty of old men is a gray head. The reason it doesn't look like that to me is that I'm not an old man yet. My head doesn't know that, but the rest of me does. Amen. I like to talk tonight specifically to the youth, just to young people tonight. All the rest of us get to listen and maybe reflect about your youth if you're older and you're grown and you've got kids raised. Speaking from the pastor's place tonight about young people. I appreciate the fact that we have so many young people here, youth. I do. That means that one day this church is not going to sit on a corner in the county empty because everybody died that God keeps raising up and fitting into, the, into what he's doing, people to come and take the place when others go out. There's those that are qualified that will move right in and take over, that they weren't ruined by their childhood adventures, that they did not get so deeply steeped in sin that they felt like they had no right to go to church and have anything to do with it. Because a lot of people live with that kind of guilt and that kind of guilt keeps them from ever becoming the kind of person that God wants them to be. They don't know they can be forgiven and all of that, but it does keep them out. I'd like to offer tonight at the end of the message some advice or an exhortation. An exhortation is language that incites or edifies. I'd like to share a few things at the end, that I, some advice I'd like to give to all of you that are youth. Now, defining a youth is generally somebody who is young, early in the life. But youth can also, in the Bible, go further than that. David, when he faced a giant, was called a youth. We don't know how old he was. It doesn't say. I would imagine he was a teenager, young teens. He was not old enough to be in the Army, so he was less than 20. So he was just a boy uh, that we would call a youth. But he wasn't a little child. But a child can be called a youth. You know, Malachi talks about the children of one's youth. So married people can still be, depending on their age, still considered to be youth. And so youth is not a, a word that is described by just a certain age bracket, but it's a word that's used in 66 verses in the Bible, the word youth is. And it merits, at least from my side, what I'm doing, where I stand as a pastor, it merits at least one night in the last 50 years to address just the youth in our church or the youth in a church. I'd like to begin with Genesis. The first mention of the word youth in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. Youth is a time of energy. You're bulletproof when you're young. You're unstoppable. Problems belong to old people. You're daring, somewhat mischievous at times, very, very easy to tempt young people. Youngsters are more easily enticed, I suspect, than older people. Sin comes at a very early age. Sin comes real soon in a person's life and depending on the environment a person's in, what they're going to face, where their parents lead them, how they're trained or taught, sin has various kinds of effect upon people. In fact, some of us have grown up with more scars than others have because we were allowed to tolerate more sin than others did, made a lot of mistakes. And we look back on those mistakes, and while we are sorry about it, we can't change it. We have to learn from it. See, Youth is a time of learning. Aging is a time of understanding. When you begin to put things together and you begin to realize, well, the reason this and the reason that, and, and you begin to mature in your thinking. Hopefully, you'll grow up and do that. Youth is a time in which you're just full of energy, boundless energy, it seems. 
At least when you get older, you notice that more in kids than, than you do yourself. But, but in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, this is what God says. We're looking actually at the latter part of the verse, but let me read it all. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth or from her youth. From youth, the imagination of a young person's heart is evil. Now, the reason great destruction came on the world was because that evil was allowed to manifest itself in violence and uncleanness and every kind of pleasure and temptation that could be entertained by man. There was an age in which, yeah, let's try that, let's do that. And without regard for the consequences, you just sort of dive in. And God said the imaginations of a, of a youthful heart is evil Continually, because it has little to do with what would God want, how would God want me to do this. Though you go to church, you may go to Sunday school somewhere in your past, you may have sat through church all through your childhood, and maybe not affected by it much. You can't get over the fact that word's in there somewhere. God will use it later on, but you're just not really interested because there's no thrill. There's no excitement to a young person in religion. It doesn't have any promise of laughter and fun and getting along. And, and the, the coolest people, they say, aren't here. They're somewhere else. And so, you know, we're missing something, but we got to be here. Our parents said so. So uh, there's a kind of evil that could be described by that. Something that is anti-God. Doesn't mean you're a really bad, ugly person. It just means that you don't think the way you should in order for you to be labeled as one of God's Children were God's people. You're not serving him because of, because of that attitude. And imagination, the word means to form or to frame. You know, man was made in Psalm 103. Man was uh, formed from the dust of the earth. Well, the word formed is our word imagination. What you begin to imagine and the way you think is going to frame the way you live, because that's a biblical truth. As a man thinketh, so is he. But the word also has to do with thinking with mental activity, the way you ponder things, things that you ponder will be the decisions you're about to make. You can make a lot of bad ones when you don't know what the good ones are, which is what goes on in youth. The Bible says that and explains that pretty well. But there's a couple of verses in Psalms 25 that speaks of the sins of one's youth, as if psalmist reflected back and somewhat maybe ashamed and disappointed in, in his decision-making of the sins that he committed. They were so unnecessary, but we did it because it was a choice that we made. And sin does that. It leaves you scarred. It leaves you somewhat embarrassed and so forth. But I want you to know tonight that I and I'm sure the rest of us really do care about our youth. We really do want you to find your peace with God here. Don't want you to be good church members before you are, first of all, good Christians. That uh, you can fit into this program and be as I was growing up. Just a, I just learned the routine of a church without Christ. And I, I could imagine now if I had been left in that state and not gotten saved, there would have come a time in my older life down the road, I would have had little interest in continuing on in any kind of spiritual life. I'd like to have some flavor of Christianity in my life, so maybe I can go to heaven. You know, if I can just be good enough, maybe I'll go. I mean, that's the way you think. The difference that God has made with us, and I hope that you young people do get this, the difference that God has made with us is that he has not left us apart from his word, that we have had it <laughs> drilled into us, it seemed like every time we meet, God says something to us, that we have not set aside things but fear that it might hurt somebody's feelings, and we haven't not said things that you might take offense at. We just simply tried to say what God said and believe that if God brought you here, God will deal with you here, and you won't be offended at his word, but you'll deal with it. Because you see, that's the way that God's going to use you. And the comfort of aging is, in my case, you know, I know, what's the, I know the days are coming in which this is not what I'm going to be doing. 
I mean, I'll still be able to get up here and mouth words. I've had many years of stuff in my hard drive. So it's not hard to put things together. But I know the day is coming in which it's time for that person that God has his call on their life to step in and begin to take over. And wouldn't it be nice to know that God has a lot of people that he can use to do that? And that we'll accept that whether we move here to hear them or not, we're, this is what God is doing and this is the way it is. And so this is what we got. So we want to make sure, I do, that the young people in this church are taught. We can't make you believe and we can't learn you. But we want to give you an opportunity, if you want to come, we want to give you an opportunity to hear the word and to have a chance to understand the word and realize that this is the only way you can ever find what God wants in your life. You've got to respond to the Lord and, and follow his way because this is, this is what God wants. We want all your energy to be channeled into the Lord. Or we want you to serve the Lord in the time of youth. It is good for a young man that he would learn the ways of God. So there's just a lot of things tonight that I like to begin with about youth, especially back to the problems that youth face. There's a real vivid depiction of what I think young people face in Ecclesiastes 11, if you would go there. In the middle to the right, you know, it'd be good too if uh, parents teach your kids how to find the books of the Bible after you learn and, and be able to find all these different books of the Bible so you can get to them early. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9 and 10, the last two verses. Rejoice, O young man, or young woman. That's, a, that's good instruction if we only had a two-verse scripture. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Hey, live it up. This is the world's philosophy. That first part of that verse, this is what the world is teaching you all outside of these walls. This is what your friend's philosophy of life is about. And this is what the appeal of the world to you is about. Be all that you can be. Shoot for the sun and you may hit the moon or whatever the crazy stuff they say. You know, go for it. Man, enjoy your life. You're only young once. Don't waste it. I mean, get out there and do things. Come on. Have fun. Life is fun. So he says. You'll see why he's saying it like this just in a moment. So rejoice. Let your heart cheer you up all the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But here's the deal. And you can't avoid this. Because this confronts everybody in this room. It did me when I was a young man. It, all of this did. I can relate to this. But, he said, know this, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Is he saying that when my heart is my boss, that when my mind leads me and I'm unrestrained, that God is must judge me? Why? Because that's not the way I was created to be. Are you with me? You weren't created to be meat for the devil and to be the sin sacrifice that the devil wants. You were created in the image of God to be a citizen of God's kingdom and to serve him. And to break away from the world's tugging, pull, and allurements is not easy. He says so here, because what a man sees, he lusts after, and he desires, and he'll set aside all the world's plans or righteousness or anything else in order to have it his way, because he's trained like that. He's taught like that. I remember years ago in a, in, a, in a school where I was teaching, one of the parents had told one of the young ladies, she was a cheerleader, very pretty girl and popular and all of that, and she had given her heart to Jesus, she said. And she was just glowing for a while. And her mom said, 
this is the way it got back to me. Her mother said, don't waste the best years of your life with religion. You see, that's the way she thought. That's the way her mother was trained, and that's the kind of influence a parent can have on a child. And so the child eventually, as we all have, once you become a Christian, you hit that wall, that time of reflection and wandering, and the devil begins his temptations. And she yielded to it, her and many others, and they walked away. But the appeal of life is mostly to young people. All the advertisements are to young people. And the pretty people in the world and all the shapely people in the world, you know, and this is, that's what happens to him. You drink Pepsi <laughs> and, you know, you play volleyball on the beach and you're, you're bulletproof and you never get old. And yet when you begin to read the Bible, you begin to read, you know, there is a time in your life you're like that, but you never stay that way because the time you're born, you begin dying. The aging process begins from birth and ends at death and never ceases. You're going to grow up. You're going to become a child and you become a youth. You're going to become a young man, a young woman, a young lady. And then you're going to get in the middle age and then things are going to go the other way. I mean, the Bible has taught us that. And the danger, he says, lies with the fact that while you're young and you're living a sinful life without regard for judgment, you're living a vain life. The verse 10 says, therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are what? Childhood and youth are vanity. The, word, the Hebrew word vanity means useless and empty. You're living an empty life with all your fun, all your pursuits, and all your getting and having and going and being. One day without God, it is totally an empty pursuit. You're still unhappy. You still can't put things together. You still can't figure out why. You're still hard to get along with. You still blow your top without solutions because that's the way the devil trains people. What a vain, meaningless life it is. You contrast that with a young person who, though they struggle in the time of their youth with keeping on track, you stay with it, it starts getting stronger. And then though you get older and you don't have all this junk the world's looking for, man, you've got what they can't find. You've got peace and joy. That's evidence of God's working in your life, which is what we as parents and adults in the church want to see. We want to see God doing a work in your life. We want to see you cheerfully and joyfully living the life you've been taught to live because this is, this is what should happen. We don't want it to be some program that we have, but we want this to be the way it is in your life, that God really is doing a wonderful thing in your life. In the New Testament, Paul wrote like this. He said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, he said, flee also youthful lust. Again, back to what I've already said, because that's the time when it's most obvious, when you're most unrestrained, when you can, I guess, going back to a long time ago, you could work all day and run all night, get a half hour nap, and go for it again the next day. Just full of energy, unstoppable. And these are the kind of things that he said, you flee also useful lust. But Paul said, but follow righteousness. Follow the right things and the right ways of God. Go where it's taught. Take time in all your busy life to listen. Pay attention. Figure it out. Think about what you've heard. Ask yourself the question, what does that really mean to me? Am I willing to live like that? Is that really what God wants? Find out. Show you've got some wisdom, that there is something in there that's bigger than just your foolish, fleshly desires out there in the world. I'm not saying you're foolish and fleshly, but I might be. So I'm just saying that all of that stuff Take time, as we would say, take time to be holy. Figure it out. Talk about it. Think about it. What's God saying? Listen to what else he said in that verse in 2 Timothy 2, 22. He said, flee also youthful us, but follow righteousness, faith, love, and peace with them who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, the environment you're in. This challenges everybody that's in here tonight. 
the environment that you're in, we as adults should have the effect on our kids of being an example. That they should be able to see in us what we're preaching about. That we're not just listening. And like a lot of parents have done that. They've listened, gone home, and kids have noticed that they don't really live anything like what they heard. They didn't mean anything to them. So it doesn't mean anything to them either. So, see, we, we parents have a lot of responsibility for our children. Somebody once said to his child, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we didn't, and I, I knew better, and I blah, 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 and I'll tell you one thing. When, when I was a kid, this is the way it was. And so the kid pops up and says, well, you know, you had better parents than I did. You didn't get that anyway. Let me move on. Let me move right along here. Listen to what Tozier said. A.W. Tozier said this about youth. He said, one of our greatest tasks, talk about the church, ministry, whoever we are, one of our greatest tasks is to demonstrate to the young people of this generation that there is nothing stupid about righteousness. It's not a dumb lifestyle. It's not a dumb old way to live. And it's our job to explain to you and show you it's not a dumb life. It's a meaningful life. It's the only way of escape out of this life. And so we teach it. We want you to have it again. We want to be able to point people and say, you know, we have a bunch of young, I do this, that we have a lot of young people who seem to be doing very, very well. Now, we'll see as they get older and new situations confront them, and we'll see how they process all of that and whether or not God really has full control. But so far, there's a lot of good decisions are being made. A lot of good choices are being made. A few bad ones. But a few bad ones doesn't mean you can't repent. But that's what happens. Would you go to the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, before I give you some advice, I like to read this particular verse. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Timothy was a preacher, a young minister. Maybe awed by people looking at him while he preached wondering what he's saying, wondering who disagrees or who, who doesn't agree, and I wonder how this sounds. And maybe he was concerned more with who he was and what he was saying than with just saying what needs to be said. So he's a young preacher. Paul says this to him in 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, let no man despise your youth. Don't make people wish that they had a, somebody that had a little more wisdom, was a little older than you up there. I imagine this man was at least 30. It seems to me that that seems to be about the right age to begin ministry. It seems to me that prior to that, it would be a time of mentoring, of learning and growing and, and adjusting and, and taking notes and asking questions and learning about God. There's no scripture for what I just said. It just seems like it. Jesus was 30 and so forth. But anyway, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And notice the six things he mentions here about examples of believers. One, in word. Now, I believe he's referencing in, in word on how you talk, the kind of speech that you use. How should a Christian talk? How should a born-again believer talk? I don't think he would be cool. I really don't. I don't think there's anything cool about stuff like that. I think the world that thinks they have to be cool to win the world, they like to dress like the world and tattoo up an earring like the world and dress down like the world and look kind of shabby because that seems to be what the world wants. But that's not a good witness either. That's not a good testimony. It really isn't. I mean, you're not a Christian because you dress nice. But if you're a Christian, you are concerned about how you're viewed, especially how you talk, your speech, speech in public, your speech in public places at ball games, your speech with each other and discussing things, things you talk about. Another thing he mentioned is your behavior. Your conversation, which means your manner of life. Paul said, Timothy, be an example. Everybody's going to look at you simply because of who you are and where you're standing and what you're saying to people. They are all going to watch you for the rest of your life while you're with them. There's not going to be a time if you're around they won't notice. 
They'll watch you. They'll watch your wife. They watch you when you eat. They watch how you, how you do your life. And a lot of them are going to model their desires after you, or they're going to wonder why you preach one thing, but you don't do that. So he said, be an example in behavior, how you act, how you conduct your affairs, how you deal with other people, how you deal with situations. That's a traffic light, oh Lord, or things like that. He said, be like that. Another one he said is be an example in love. Love is compassion. It's caring about people. It should show up, especially in the ministry. Some people are hard to love. Trust me with this. Some people are, hard, are easier to like than to love or vice versa. But you're the one that's going to preach it. You're the one that has to live it. So whatever adjustment needs to be made, you make it. But this would not only apply just to preachers. It applies to all of us because we got preachers. This place is full of preachers tonight. I got the youngest ones coming. I got the ones that are about ready, cooking, baking. And I got some that are ready and don't know it quite fully yet, but we got it. And another thing he mentioned in, in 1 Timothy 4 after love is an example in spirit. An example in spirit. Remember Daniel 5, 32 said Daniel had an excellent spirit. He was chosen above all the other people because Daniel had an excellent spirit. How quickly can you find Proverbs 17? We're not going to race, but see if you can find Proverbs 17 and verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. Notice, and a man of understanding, this goes with maturity. And a man of understanding is a, of an excellent spirit. Let me just briefly say this. The more you begin to understand, the more you are controlled by that. When you understand the ways of God, which once was not clear and you didn't care, and God began to get your attention, and knowledge comes, and then after knowledge comes wisdom, oh, and then understanding, ah, I see it. And this growth and this maturity begins to take place. The Bible said you're describing a man who has an excellent spirit. He's the kind of person who ought to rule. He's the kind of person who ought to be in charge. Every Christian should have something of an excellent spirit in them because of the great spirit of God that is in you. I mean, there should be this yielding to that spirit, shouldn't there? And it's no longer I that live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the other thing he mentioned is that you'd be faithful. Faith. Six things he mentioned there. Be an example of faith. If you can't trust the Lord, how are you going to teach people to trust the Lord? If you're not faithful to what your Bible says, how can you expect others to be faithful? You've got to be an example, whether it's convenient or not. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. And us with the world and our neighbors next door. What we preach is what we live. Amen? And the last thing he mentioned is purity. Purity. Purity is not a word today that it has meaning to a lot of use. Purity of life. Modesty, chastity, virginity doesn't mean much today. It's almost like to be a virgin today as a young lady is almost like an insult. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not one of them. That's a shame. It's a shame. Somebody's going to marry you and he's not the first one. But you find every now and then there's that one who has that deep conviction about that. You don't need some robust sexual activity. I just need to seek first the kingdom of God and let God take care of all that. And when his time comes and I'm married, that'll work out the way it's supposed to. And yet how dumb that must sound to this unrestrained generation. We're living in an unrestrained generation. The Bible says where there is no vision... The people perish. And the Hebrew says, where there is no living revelation, the people cast off restraint. And they just do as they please. And that's exactly what vanity is all about. Living an empty life. And they can do it, a lot of them, in a church setting because the church, church has no boundaries either. 
They just want your money and your time and your filling up a seat without really caring about what's happening in your heart and your soul. No thought of giving an account for your soul. We're just glad you're here. Hope you can make it. And yet, to Timothy, ministering is a labor. He said that later on. It's a labor. It's an exhausting thing. It's the one thing that you can do and nothing else will fit into that. You got to do this. It's a labor of love. It's putting God first because of the need of the people. Now, this is what happens when God takes a young man and begins to deal with his life and begins to work that mold like clay, begins to work in this person the ways of God, causing him to hear this and hear that and hear this and hear that. Or young ladies coming into the time of her maturity and she's growing up knowing that one day soon she's probably going to find a husband. And so she begins preparing herself. Because before she's anything else in the world, she has to love Jesus more than him or anybody else. Because submitting to a man is not easy. I'll say it for you. Amen. <laughs> and only, only by the grace of God can you do it in such a way that God will keep your family and maintain your family. You know, you talk about women going through crises. Men go through crises, too. I don't know that men have a midlife crisis. I've heard that. Sometimes when you're married, the only thing that's going to keep you the way you should be is God. Because you told God before God and these witnesses, you took a vow. And I'm looking at a bunch of you that did. I will love you until the Lord comes. If you leave me and forsake me and run off, I'm not going to forsake my vow. I'm going to hold on to what I promised God and promised you. You may leave and run off, I never see you again, but I am not going to stand before God having taken a vow and then broken it. You may break yours, I'm not breaking mine. And the reason I'm going to love you and submit to you is because I told God I would. Whether you deserve it or not, I'm going to do it. As unto the Lord. I see, a girl prepares her heart that way because you teach that. And boy, today that wouldn't fly. In this society today, that would not fly. The feminist... H's and H's wouldn't like that. I'm not going to say hens and heifers, but I'm just saying the feminists would not, would not like that today. So I won't, that's all I'll say about it. So let me give you some advice tonight. <laughs> let me give you a little advice tonight, young, young folks. As I look back personally from where I've been and what I now believe, let me share with you some things. I hope you can receive it. In the time of your youth, determine to put God first. First, God. Before pleasure, before anything. Before boys, girls, careers, school, anything. Put yourself in a place where, as far as you know how, God has his control of your life. We call that lordship, making him lord. Lord means controller, like a rider on a horse controls a horse with a bridle and a bit. That's what God wants from us so that he can take us and maneuver us wherever he wants to. But you just learn to put God first. Now in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1, it says this, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not nor the years draw nigh when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. He's talking about old age. There's a contrast there between the days of your youth when you're busy and excited and full of energy and the time of your life, just the other end of that, when you slow down a lot and you don't have that energy and that bounce like you once did. Uh, they label it testosterone today, but don't believe that either. He said here, remember your creator in the days of your youth. You're a wise young man and young lady. If you tell yourself that we're gonna reflect on, meditate on, and contemplate the things of God. I will not let this moment pass me by without taking advantage of it. 
I didn't come to church tonight because it's a decent thing to do. I came here because I have a need. I need to be here. And I pray for I got here that God would speak to me, and therefore I've come to hear what that is. Whether anybody else did or not, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Let God be in all your thoughts. The mind that is stayed upon the Lord shall have perfect peace. That's what God promised. That everything else in your life, all your needs, all your problems, the crises, the difficulties, all those things come to the solution that God gives. Because you hide his word in your heart, he directs your steps. Light arises in darkness for the upright, Psalm 112 says. You never have to worry again. You never have to fear. You can cast all your cares over on the Lord because God shows you that's the way to live. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. The worst thing you'll ever do is neglect the word of God or set it aside or ignore it or be distracted by something and not give heed to it. The Bible said we should give heed to the word of God, lest at any time the word slips. Wouldn't it be awful you reach the end of your life and all the things you heard for all your life? Some of you were born here. Wouldn't it be terrible if at the end of your life, after 30, 40 years, you weren't ready for heaven? Because there were so many busy things in your life times you put church off to go do something else and the time you didn't have time for that and you remember your creator in the days of your youth which means that as you get older you'll keep that because God will honor his word in your life and show you that's a wise thing to do to remember the Lord as your creator and about all those things all those mistakes you made and all those problems that you grew up with and Sometimes you feel so guilt-ridden that how could I raise my hand? How could I praise the Lord? I mean, I've, I've done so much bad. You know what the Bible says? How with all, the question is asked in the psalm, how with all shall a young man cleanse his way? Or a woman. How shall we cleanse our way? How do you do it? Well, think about it. Just put some, put some thoughts together here. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 at verse 9, there's 160 verses in there you can pick from, but he says in there, he said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, which implies that a man's way, a young man's way needs to be cleansed. Would you agree? Even some of y'all cleansed, that is washed clean. Now remember some things that God said. He said, God will cleanse his church with the, with the washing of water, by the word. So God gives his word to do that. That's what the psalmist said, by taking heed to the word. Because it cleanses. It identifies your sin. It offers you forgiveness. And if you will take advantage of that and act and use your faith, you'll benefit from it. You'll find God to be more than you ever knew he was. you find a personal relationship that people talk about that most people don't have. You'll find it. Because your way gets cleansed, and when it gets cleansed, God replaces the dirt with good stuff. He said in John 15, 3, now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Clean. That's what the word does. It's a cleansing thing. I would not know what my sin was in my life if somebody had not told me what the word says. Have you ever heard in your Christian life, you ever sat in a church meeting and heard the word of God and got convicted? And just something like a bell goes off. He's talking about you. He didn't know you were coming. They didn't put your name in the paper or on his notes. But he just, what he said applies to you. And sometimes you hear the word lazy or incompetent. Not even trying. Not putting much effort into it. He's saying, well, that's you. All right, now you've been identified by the word. What are you going to do with it? Are you just going to content yourself with knowing what your problem is, or will you let God deal with it? Now is the time to do this. Don't say, i got plenty of time. I'll do it next year. You don't know in next year whether it'll even be here or not. Or if it comes, you don't know that you'll be in it. Today is the day of salvation. Deal with your life now.
And while you're there, go back to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs chapter three and verse one through four. My son, let's consider this to be a youth talking to the youth. Let's play like I'm the daddy here and y'all the children. Or you folks are the children, not y'all. All right. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. When are they added? Let me ask you the question. I want you to think about it. When are these things added? You don't know. Well, let me read it again. My son, ignore my law. He said, my son, don't forget my law. I've been telling you about it. Don't, don't forget it. Because, see, the law, or the, in this case, the word of God, is designed to do a work in your life. This is one of the things he says. He said, It'll, length of days, so you won't need, you won't need insurance because you got assurance. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to you. He said, let not mercy and truth forsake you. That comes with it. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tables of your heart. That's your personal reflection. So you shall find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Good advice for young folks, isn't it? Good advice for older people, too. But this is some of the things he says. You put, you put God first. And then also, you don't have to turn to this, but Lamentations, which is right after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations 3.27. He said, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. You don't say, as I used to say, someday when I'm too old to have fun anymore, then I'll join church, get saved, and go to heaven. As though I had that kind of power. But God does say this. If you want to enjoy life as God is willing to give it to those who want it, start in your youth. Start in your youth. Remember your creator in all of your ways and in all of your doings. Let him define what's right and wrong for you. Listen to his word. Give heed. Give the more earnest heed to the things that he is saying. Please God by being faithful to him in this way. This is what he wants, and this is the way it should be. So that's my first advice to you. Before anything else, put God first. Everything in your life, everything about your life, put God first. Ask yourself the question, what does the Lord say about whatever you're dealing with? Is it a job? Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it anything? What does the Lord say? I shared with you years ago about a woman that went to the preacher's office one day around noon. She needed to talk to him. He knew she was coming, knew, knew what her problem was. She didn't know that he knew, but he knew. It was a marriage problem. And she comes in the preacher's office, and I think her name was Sarah. And so he said, sit down, Sarah. How you doing? Good. Good to see you and all. Everything all right? Well, she said, not really. Okay, let's talk about it. What's the problem? What do you want me to do? And she started to say something, and the preacher said, before you tell me what your problem is, give me, I think it was two or three verses of Scripture. Tell me what the Bible says about it first. In other words, what, what's the answer that God gives before we talk about it? So we got that to turn to. And she did like most church members would do. They have no clue what the Bible says about their problem. They just go call people, call the preacher, get on somebody's prayer list, uh, hope they can find something on a radio. They really don't have this personal knowledge of God and his word. It's not what they're clinging to. I don't care what they've been taught. Chances are they haven't been taught much. But he said to her, now, tell me what the Bible says about your problem first. And he said she looked at him. She looked down embarrassed. She wasn't able to rightly divide anything. She didn't know it. She just went to church and belonged. She was a member of the church. Well, she didn't know anything. So she said, thank you. And she got up and left. 
Now, I don't know how that turned out or what happened after that. But see, it's easy. When God is not first, you put man first. And you turn to man for solutions and for help. And psychiatrists and psych, all those psychic things, they're making a fortune off of people's ignorance of the Bible. And they give so much advice, it's not even scriptural. You poor thing. You're a victim. There's not a victim in this room. We've been redeemed from victimitis. We have set before us a table that is spread full of thousands of promises. God has honored you by calling you his beloved, make you his child. He personally chose you to be his. You didn't choose him, he chose you. No matter what your background was, how horrible and awful it was, and what kind of mud and tragedy you grew up in. I don't care if it was abuse or orphans or molest. I don't care what it was or how bad it was. You've been redeemed from all of that. You've been forgiven of all of that. And the word that you hear will cleanse you from any past unforgiveness about it and make you free. So there's no more victims. People that have had bad experiences are the best people to help people that have had bad experiences because you know how they feel. You know how they've been. You know what they're going through. And they look at you and say, well, what did you do? And it's Jesus is the answer. Amen. But you learn that while you're young. Don't wait till you're too old and weary and you've already set it aside. Learn it while you're young. Learn it while you're young. It's a good thing to learn that. So that you don't have to be like that lady and walk up to go to somebody in a time of need and say, what are we going to do? What does the Bible say you should do? Well, most of the time, if you're honest, they would say, I don't know. Then why are you coming to me to find out what you ought to do when God's already told you what he wants you to do? Why don't you go find out what God says? And they say, well, Brother Hamlet, don't you know? Are you embarrassed because you don't know? You go to the Lord first. You go find out what the Bible says. If you don't understand, then you come in. Let's me and you talk. At least we are, we are starting with God's solution to your problem. We're not going to sit here and hammer out tears and sorrow and poor old me. We're going to start with the solution that God gives, and we're going to work on that. This is when you put God in all your thoughts. This is when you remember your creator in the days of your youth. Second little bit of advice I'd like to give you tonight is being cheerful. Being cheerful. One of the things I really don't like about the young people today is that they seem to be so mad. You look at a rock group jacket, or those, do they still have albums? What do they come in today? Little bitty things? Whatever they are. They're all frizzle-headed. And they're all, their shirt tails out, and, and they're all like this. Now, the Christian groups, too, the so-called Christian rock, so I'm saying this, what is your message? Because I'm reading your face like I'm reading a book. And what I see is there's something really gone wrong in your life. If you're a Christian, turn your frown upside down. You don't know what that means. I would draw you a picture, but it'd take too long. I know you know what it means. Why is everybody so angry today? Why is it just little bitty things tick people off and get in fights and marriages are living on the edge? I mean, on the literal edge. He's afraid to say this because boy, if he, where's Jesus? I'm talking about the Christian family now. Where is Jesus in all of this? Why is he left out? Why is he not the solution? See, I think you learn. A lot of kids are raised without restraint. And when you're raised without restraint, you tend to be angry. You're not disciplined. You're allowed to jump up and down on the couch. I run them off of mine back there. They get up there on their feet. I think, now you do that at home. Uh-huh. Well, get off of mine. And if you can't do better than that, don't come in here no more. One of them one time got a piece of candy. So I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Come here. Who said you could have that? I'll put it back. Put it back. It's, that isn't your candy. It's mine. Put it back in that drawer. 
Well, you'd have thought I was a registered booger man the way, I, you know, the way they look at you. See, they're allowed to get things at home. They don't have to ask. They don't have to say thank you. Well, I notice there's a little one in this church. That he's big enough to walk now, but he doesn't walk out the door until he's, I got several of them do this, but he stops and says, thank you. Then he says, Papaw. Because again, half the kids, <laughs> half the kids here are mine anyway, but you have to train a child. You have to discipline children. They don't mind if they don't want to. That's why they're mad. They grow up angry because they don't get their way in school. They get mad. They fight. The teacher tells them, sit down. I don't have to sit down. I don't have to sit down at home. I don't have to sit down here. You ain't going to make me sit down. Hallelujah. That's the way they're raised by us. I've been to enough picnics to know how kids act. Amen? I have. And when you see a lack of cheerfulness, this is just me now. This is my one opinion. When you see a lack of cheerfulness, when you can't see a smiling face on kids, there's something inside that troubles those kids. They're troubled. Does God have a solution? Well, of course he does. God tells us that we're going to have trouble, but he says, count it all uh, joy. He said, rejoice evermore, for this is the will of God. So you're obligated to rejoice. Go into these, they used to call them fast food restaurants, but now they're just sort of medium to slow food restaurants. And you walk in, and the person will wait on you invariably, because I watch this. I take mental notes. You walk in and say, yeah, which means, can I help you? Yeah, it means, what do you want? What? Which means, what? Excuse me? Or they stick their head out the door. There's one the other day that stuck her head out the door, and I went by to get my coffee, smiling all over herself. I thought, praise God. You have a nice day, and I said, yeah, I will. I will, young lady. I told her, I will. <laughs> one time, one of them said, have a good evening. I told her, I have one better than she will. Because I was going to church. Whatever happened to cheerfulness amongst Christian people? One of the things I love is a good smile. Smiling is contagious. It's, it's something that is good. Something that God wants. It's something we should all have with us at all times. We're not angry. I'm not mad at anybody. Everybody that's ever offended me, I trust I have forgiven them. I have no grudges. My biggest problem is traffic lights. And it's compounded with my wife being in the car. <clears throat> See, that's a wordless rebuke. <clears throat> I heard you. I heard you. I know that. The speed limit is 25 through here. I know what it is. <laughs> Cheerful. Are you in Proverbs? Are you close? Look at chapter 15. If you're still in Proverbs, Bonnie doesn't mind. I blame her for everything. She doesn't mind. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A merry heart does what? Maketh a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. But so you should guard your heart, as Proverbs says. A merry heart doeth good. In fact, over in chapter 17 and verse 22, look at that one. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It heals. It cures. It makes better. It takes away whatever the discomfort was, as medicine is supposed to do. A merry heart. Everybody in this room should have a merry heart. Most of you do. As far as I know, most of you do. I can remember back in the years past with people that are not here anymore. I don't think I'm trying to talk about those people left there and he just got. I'm just making a point about what I've learned. I've known people that hardly ever smiled. Were not very nice. If you talk to them, they might answer you. They might not. I've had people come to me, out-of-state people, said, is there something wrong with so-and-so? 
And what I wanted to say was, there's a lot wrong with so-and-so. But I don't say that. Sometimes you have to say, well, I don't know, they might be going through something. It might be, you know. But, you know, even if we are going through something, do we not have a solution? Is there not a verse of Scripture that says, because we have been redeemed, we should be rejoicing? Rejoice evermore. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm just saying, now let me add this to it. When you grow up now and you're getting older and you're getting into the workforce, because that's coming in your life, you're going to have to do your part in society to help mankind and help humanity. You're going to get a job that's going to be for the benefit of people. Not a hindering job, but something that's a service. You're going to do something with your life that's going to benefit people, whether you paint or draw or your computer, something that's going to benefit you're not going to gamble. You're not going to be a gambler and see how much you can get from people or bet on the horses. You're going to do something beneficial to man. Now, in order to do that, you're going to have to face an employer or you have your own business. And if you're going to have an employer, one of the things your employer will appreciate when you first meet him is a smile. An eyeball contact smile. And again, I'm saying this because, and I could be wrong, prove me wrong, but it seemed like so many kids today don't know how to relax, don't know how to smile. If you tell us you say something funny, they'll laugh or they'll smile that way, but they don't seem to be, you know, just real cheerful. A third thing tonight in advice as we are coming to a close is learn to communicate. Learn how to talk. I can think of youngsters that I know that can come back in my office and sit down in a chair I don't know for 10 years old and can carry on a good conversation they can look you right in the face and talk to you and say how's your day been they'll say you know I've had a pretty good day and I'm looking forward to this or that instead of just sitting there going huh yep nope so say, well, you know, in the South, we say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and maybe in the North, they don't do that, or we say Mr. or Mrs., and then, you know, different parts of the country, they think, have different customs. But I tell you, as long as you're living in this area, <laughs> when you're in Rome, learn what a Roman does. <laughs> there are things that employers, if they can find somebody in the workforce, because most of them have been on drugs, they can't get a job because they have drugs in their system. One of the sins of youth, one of those careless moments. You got to learn to communicate. If you can't sell yourself, why would anybody buy you? If you cannot present yourself as an intelligible, clear thinking, uh, able to communicate and put more than five, you can put five or ten words together in one whole sentence then if the employer is going to put you out in the public eye, and if you can't communicate what he wants you to sell for him, he might lose because of you. I don't think a lot of young people, they have learned how to communicate. Maybe they don't learn to write anymore. They, uh, do they still write? Is there still such a thing as writing in school? Or, or they do that now. Expressing yourself with words, whether it's writing or talking. And if an adult comes up to some of you, some stops you here in church, oh, this would be a good place to try it, and says, hey, how you doing? How's everything going? You know, for, for one reason, we do care. We just have neglected doing this as much as we should, but every now and then we'll say, I said, how you doing? Now, don't ask me yet. I'll talk to you in a minute. I said, how are you doing? How's everything going? And you know what? I like to hear more than, uh-huh, yeah, good. Bad. Indifferent. <laughs> Just give me some feedback. Show me that you not only heard what I said, but that you're growing up. You're learning to be, as an adult would be, and able to communicate with other people. To look your boss in the eye and talk to him and tell him, if he said, why should I hire you to do this job? Tell him why. Because I'm broke and ain't got no money. You might have to say, well, 
I've never really given a whole lot of thought to that. I just want to get a job and get started in life. I don't know what I'm going to do yet in life, but I'd like to start here. And uh, I'd, I'd like to have the job. There's not many people talk like that, trust me. A lot of kids can't even read and write. Can't even fill out the form. I heard this the other day on the radio. Cannot even fill out the form for a job application, let alone communicate verbally. You never call your boss a dude. Hey, dude, what about my job? You wouldn't do that. And when he talks to you, it's best you didn't grunt. Uh-huh. No. Because if I'm a boss and employer and you're going to represent me and my company to my clients, thank you. I've got your number. If we need you, I'll call you. Chances are you never get called. And for me, if, if I've got a self-employment business, I've got to sell myself when I sell my product, don't I? You've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to talk intelligently to somebody. You don't have to quote the Encyclopedia Britannica, but you just need to learn how to talk. Have a sensible conversation. And fourthly, my advice to you is to make a plan to grow up. You can't help it. Your body's going to grow up. Whether you mothers like it or not, that little boy is going to have hair on his face one of these days. Oh, no, not my baby. Yeah, your baby. He's going to grow up. He's going to find himself challenged to get in line to get a job to do this or to do that. And there's three things. There's three big words. I wish we had the night for this, but three words. When you grow up, this has to go with you if you're going to be, as a Christian, in society. You've got to be responsible. You've got to be reliable. And you've got to be dependable. If you say you want to work for me and we start at 8 o'clock, you'll be here at 8 o'clock. Will you be here at 8 o'clock? Yes, sir. Good. And if you're not here at 8 o'clock, I can't count on you. You're not reliable and you're not dependable. And I may have to let you go. See, you've got to manage yourself. Time for childhood, relax, I'm back. Not anymore. Because the next and the last thing down the road I want to challenge you about tonight is to prepare for marriage, but don't hurry into it. Don't hurry into it. Young lady said to me at the camp, a girl that I knew from another state, well, you must be getting to that time of life. You're thinking about marriage. She said, not yet. When I graduate from college, then I'll start thinking about it. You know, wait for the right man to come along. But first things first. That's pretty good maturity, I think. Her daddy doesn't have to worry about her. He doesn't have to see things happening in her life that bother him. Mm-mm. She's doing good. A young man, get a job. Get a steady job. Be well employed. Save some money. Show that you're thinking about your future. Quit spending it foolishly. Buying stuff you don't need. Hold on to it for a while. You'll kind of like it after a while if you'll hold on to it because it'll have a good use in your life. And then find a house. Get started. This is where I'm going to live. Get your furniture. Because remember, you're asking some young girl to leave the only family she's ever known and to leave the comfort of that and to be joined to you and whatever you've got. You say, oh, we don't need anything. We're just going to live on love. Right. Right. Not if her daddy has any sense, you won't. I think every mature young man who is a Christian realizes that one day, chances are, God's going to bring into his life the woman that he has prepared for him. And he needs to at least have some sensible preparation in his life that convinces her that he's a kind of reliable and dependable and trustworthy man that I can live with and that my daddy will approve of the way he lives and the way he conducts his affairs. It's all part of growing up. You're the kind of people, when you live like this, you young men, young women, you're the kind of people that when it comes your turn to lead, we can sit down or take our place in history and have the assurance that things will be all right here. That we won't have to do like so many churches that we all know. Wow, there's a bit, they're gone now. 
absolutely, completely disintegrated, evaporated, and gone without trace. That should never happen in a Christian environment. Put God first. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we give you thanks tonight for your word, your truth, for the working of your spirit. I give you thanks tonight for these young folks. You're offering to them a way of life that the world can't. Give them grace and wisdom to partake of it. May they not make the mistakes as parents that some of us have made. May we as parents pray for our children, even though they're grown. May we as a church pray daily for our young people, our youth, that God would give us good, strong leadership for our tomorrows. I ask you to do that, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.